another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the Kings Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the Kings Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipateris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, the Kings are undefeated in the in-season tournament, so I could not be better. <laughs> He's a, a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you today. How's it going? Well, it's going great. You know, that uh, as the Kings just rolling through this in-season <laughs> tournament, so uh, it's all good. <laughs> well, we are now uh, 15 games into the regular season. The uh, sample sizes are growing. The hot takes from talking heads around the league are two. The Kings have won seven of their last nine, including five of the last seven since last we spoke. Uh, they beat the Cavs by 12, Lakers by 15, Spurs by nine. Dallas by 16 and the Wolves by 13 uh, sandwiched in between. There are two losses uh, to the Pelicans one by 36, which we'll never discuss again. And another one by five outside of that one stinker in new Orleans, there was a lot of quality Sacramento Kings basketball being played in these last 14 days. So we're going to get in to talk about it. So first for the usual guys, what's your opinion on the last two weeks of Kings basketball? Well, I, I think pretty solid, you know, I mean, I think the, Hey, the record's the record. Uh, they played a lot of road games, uh, have had a couple of stinkers, have had a couple of really outstanding road road wins as well as uh, some home wins. So, uh, you know, as a Kings fan, uh, I think they're kind of very close to where I thought they would be, hoped they would be. One thing that was interesting, I was thinking about this um, yesterday, is last time we recorded, it was right after the two Houston Rockets losses, and then they salvaged our podcast a little bit by winning against the Trailblazers and the Thunder to make us feel better. And then this week, they had those two losses against the Pelicans, and I was kind of expecting to be a little bit more critical maybe on the podcast, but then they follow <laughs> that up with a win against the Timberwolves. So we are recording podcasts on the right days to feel good about this team. <laughs> We're always one game off from being really dour about the Kings and <laughs> the Kings are just doing a great job for us uh, salvaging that. Yeah. Um, so, so just looking into some of the numbers here, I just want to get your opinion. This, again, this is through 15 games. So this is still early in the season, but the Kings are ninth in points per game at uh, 115 and a half. Uh, they allow 115.3, which is 21st in the league. They're 12th in pace. They're 12th in offensive rating, 18th in defensive rating. Jerry, you said this is about where you thought they'd be. Uh, do the numbers kind of spell that out to you as well? I think it, they do. You know, I mean, I was hoping for for a little more. You know, I thought, uh, you know, pace-wise, uh, you know, thought the team might be a little higher offensively and, and a little lower defensively. So, yeah, I, but uh, based on last year, uh, I, I think, you know, you'd have to be pretty impressed, really, uh, considering – other than just the total stinkers that they've had, you know, every team has them, uh, but boy, uh, the wheels come off a little too easy early in the year for me. You know, I mean, we know that happens later in the year uh, for everybody, but so that'd be my, the one thing that, that still has me concerned as it were. Yeah, it's one of those things where I try not to think too hard on it because it's like uh, I tried to justify it. Well, Fox missed a couple of games. And if you take out the Pelicans game and if you take out those two Houston Rockets game, we're doing really, really well. And at some point I kind of go, oh, wait, hold on a second here. We can't. That's that's half the season if we pull it that way. Uh, Tony, how do you feel about the numbers so far uh, spelling out for you this early in the season? I was looking at these offensive numbers uh, all day today, trying to kind of make sense of them. And I, I have a theory because there are some things that are down. This was a prolific offense last year. Obviously, they've had some injuries this year. Uh, also, their transition offense is down. Their pace is down. And maybe I am looking at this in too simple of a view, but I feel like a lot of that has to do with the fact that their three-point shooting has been down. And that's where they get a lot of transition buckets. And this early in the season, that can skew a lot of your offensive numbers in general if you're missing a high percentage of the most valuable shot in basketball. And if you look at some of the players, um, they're high-volume shooters like uh, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, 
Sasha Vasenkov are all having bad shooting starts of the year, especially Keegan Murray at his volume is just shooting a percentage far below his career or what we expect him to do. Uh, and really the only guys that are shooting above their own average is Fox and Sabonis and Monk, who has been very hot to start the year. So I feel like you get a couple of these shooters firing and hitting at the same time. And a lot of these offensive numbers that look a little bit down from last year with regards to pace or transition or just overall scoring. Once you get the, that three point percentage back up to a, a level that is average for this team, I think you're going to kind of blow the doors off of some of the the offensive numbers you've seen so far. So we'll, we'll get into talking about some of the players here. Um, I want to start first, obviously with the Western conference player of the week in week four, uh, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Fox averaged uh, 32.3 points, 6.3 assists, uh, 4.8 rebounds, and 2.3 steals. The Kings were 4-0 in week four. Uh, this is his fourth time winning. Um, what do you guys have to say about the way De'Aaron Fox played, not just in that week in particular, but since the last time we spoke? Well, you know, the, the idea of, of, of Fox being talked about as MVP is very justified. It absolutely, he absolutely should be in that conversation because he's playing at that level. And I think, uh, you know, obviously his offense proves that, but the value to the team, uh, his ability to finish in the crunch time, his defense has gotten better. I mean, the guys, you know, I mean, there, there's guys like, you know, uh, not knocking anybody here, like say uh, Damian Lillard, much better known, uh, but Hey, Fox is better. Fox is a better player right now. He, he wasn't three years ago, but he is right now. <laughs> you guys feel like this is sustainable from Fox? Obviously, the 2.3 steals, maybe not. And him dropping 43 on the Spurs is probably not something he's going to do every week. But do you feel like these MVP style numbers are something that he can carry on, not just through the season, but for the next five or six years with the Kings? I do. You know, I really do. I think he gets his numbers uh, pretty comfortably. You know, he's a very different kind of player than Luka Doncic, but it's the same kind of thing. Sure. You know, guys that can go out there, you know, and, and just put up huge numbers if things are going well. And if they're not, they can still put up big numbers. Sure. And, and uh, so, you know, I think he's really in that category now. You know, and you just look back, say, a couple of seasons ago, would anybody thought that Fox would be better than John Morant, uh, yeah. for instance, you know, guys like that. And, and, you know, who would, you know, who would trade uh, Fox for John Morant right now? Well, the answer would be zero human beings. And so, so anyway, yeah, I, I think he can. I, whether he can say keep the same scoring, you know, he may drop a little bit, but it's, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, can he be, you know, be a legitimate MVP contender? Yes, all year. Yeah, to me, he checks all the boxes for why this would be sustainable. He's scoring a shit ton of points. He's doing it very efficiently. His teammates love him. And most importantly, the Kings are winning games. So like that, that he, that's checking every box to me as far as like, can what he's doing be sustainable in a winning environment? And it looks like it will be. I mean, who knows what'll happen two weeks from now, months down the road. But I'm certainly encouraged, and I don't see why this wouldn't at least be in some ways sustainable. I think at the very least, we, I was worried that maybe last year's All-Star season could could have been a flash in the pan or or one big year for someone. Uh, to me, he's following it up with a year that so far has been even better. So it, so to me, it's like a very – it puts me at ease that he is he's doing this again, and it looks easy and comfortable for him, and you can kind of uh, – I don't want to, you know – make too many predictions, but you can pencil him in for an all-star appearance for the next X amount of years. He looks like that kind of player to me. So we're going to roll over to somebody else who could have won the award in that same week. Uh, Demonis Sabonis. Um, the man averaged 27.8 points, 13 rebounds, seven and a half assists and a block in those same games and did it while shooting 75.4% from the field. We're talking about a guy who last podcast, we discussed him taking four shot attempts in a, in a game. And now he's dropping nearly 28 points a night for a week straight. Uh, what's gotten into Sabonis on the offensive end of the court? Well, I think, he, you know, I think that uh, terrible performance in Houston, I think probably opened his eyes a little bit, probably the coach's eyes a little bit, encouraged him to look for his own offense more. And, and we're seeing that. And, and he should, you know, I mean, he's uh who's more productive than, than Sabonis offensively in the league? Well, almost nobody. 
you know, he's a, he doesn't take bad shots or anything. So, uh, so yeah, he's playing at, you know, he's playing at some bonus level. Like I say, I, I'm just one of those people that he had the kind of week he had. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty much convinced and I'd love to be wrong, but he's going to end up averaging 19 points, 12 rebounds, <laughs> shoot, shoot 60% and uh, maybe uh, average about a block a game. You know, that's, you know, that's who he is. And, and, and my gosh, that's really good. That's really good. It's just, yeah. he, he just, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't quite look like some people want him to look, but uh, the guy, uh, the guy brings it every night. Uh, unbelievable stamina and conditioning and screen. If they had a, if they kept screen assists or something like that, he'd, he'd be a uh, double ahead of everybody else in the league. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, he's a, uh, he's part of the answer. That's for sure. Tony, how do you feel about uh, Sabonis going from uh, a guy who couldn't score to a guy who can't stop scoring? I feel pretty good about Sabonis too. I, it, we probably sound like a broken record, but he makes everyone on the team better no matter who he plays with. And one interesting wrinkle I thought, and I'm not saying this contributes to his uptick in scoring that much, but one thing I noticed is uh, Mike Brown has started playing Malik Monk with Sabonis a little bit more. And in pre in last season and earlier in the season, a lot of the backup centers like JaVale McGee and Alex Len would benefit from Malik Monk uh, as the ball handler in the, in the pick and roll. Who I think he is the Kings' best pick and roll passer is, is Monk. And having him with Sabonis, now you get your best pick and roll passer with your best pick and roll and, and diver and screener in Sabonis. And Sabonis is picking up a lot more easy buckets at the rim thanks to Monk's passing. So I like that little wrinkle that, that Brown has, has adjusted in his rotation to give Monk more time with the starting unit. Um, so it, yeah, it's been, it's been all great though from Sabonis since our last recording. You know, one, one thing I'd like to add to that too, it's like a great point on uh, on Monk because I think uh, JaVale's played quite well. Mm -hmm. And of course his minutes have usually come with Monk who gets him a couple of hoops, just like he did met too. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got that knack and, and, and I always say that's one of the, the negatives I find with Herder is he turns a corner and almost never finds a center, yeah. you know? And, and I think that's a, you know, that's just one of those things. Now Fox to some degree is the same way, except he can finish, hmm. you know, it's uh, he's always going to find a way to, to just about score. So that's okay. But anyway, just a little aside. Sure. Sure. Spe speak on Fox or speak on uh, monk for a second. There. We didn't talk about Malik monk last podcast. And I felt bad about it afterward when I realized that, but how do you guys feel like Malik monk has played uh, through the first 15 games of the season? Well, I think he's been close to being Malik Monk. You know, I mean, I think it, nothing he does surprises me. I mean, you know, for a guy to come off the bench, he can come off the bench and get 40. We've seen it kind of thing. Uh, there's nights it's it's tougher coming off the bench and be as consistent as a starter. So, uh, but, you know, he's right in there with the best six man, six man of the year type thing. Uh, brings good energy. You know, he's going to force things. He's, uh, you know, but it's, it, I always say it's kind of like a Bobby Jackson. Those guys are brought in. They want to come in and do something, you know, create energy, uh, make something happen. And so sometimes what they make happen isn't good. And you just, you, you, you know, but most of it is, most of it is. I, you know, love the guy. Love watching. Tony, how do you feel about Malik Monk so far this season? I think Monk has been awesome this year. I think he's been even better this year than last year as far as, um, his passing goes, he's averaging a career high five assists, career best 40% from three. Those are the two obvious markers that I'm kind of looking for, for a player like him. Um, he's bailed them out many times this year. I, so many times, and it's only been, you know, a handful of games I've been watching and I'm like, Oh, where would they be without Malik Monk tonight? Cause he comes in and gives them a, a clutch point or a clutch pass. Uh, but I can't stop watching Monk without thinking of his contract. And the fact that he's an unrestricted free agent into the year, I don't know what the Kings are going to do with him. Hopefully they can keep him. Hopefully they can pay him because I, I don't know where this bench is without him. Um, and he's so versatile for this team. He could start if they wanted him to, he doesn't have to, but watching him increase his assists and his scoring makes me wonder if some team isn't just going to throw a bunch of money at him and have them be their starting guard and see what a Malik Monk offense looks like. Cause he has gotten a lot better since the last time he was given a starting role somewhere. Yeah, I can't imagine somebody not uh, coming after him yeah. hard, you know, and uh, you just hope it's not so hard that Kings can't uh, 
can't match under any circumstances. But, uh, you know, the way I look at Monk, it's kind of like you, Tony. And, uh, you know, really, he's the third most valuable player on this team. You know, I mean, that's just all there is to it. And uh, so, you know, you, you've got to find a way to keep him. And, and then the last thing I'd say on it is if uh, Fox gets hurt again, I want to see Monk start and play 40 <laughs> minutes if he has to. I don't care. 45. I, I, you know, but I think you have a, you know, you, he's not Fox. Uh, you know, you, you'd weaken because you don't have Monk coming in for Monk. But but I think it gives you would give you a chance to hold the forward and then some. Gary, the Keon Ellis experiment didn't do it for you? No, no. And, I, <laughs> and nothing, and you know, and nothing against Keon. I think he's a player in the league. Uh, he's a limited spot player, really. And I think uh, there's there's probably no better coach in, in the league than and Mike Brown is figuring out what spots he can use guys. And I think Davion is still that. I think Kessler Edwards. I, I think Duarte, that's really all he should be, uh, you know, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, JaVale already is. And, and, I mean, the guy that has to have a bigger role is, is Trey Lyles, which I know we'll get to. Uh, he's just too too good to be a 10, 15-minute guy. How how uh, how far into the uh, into the uh, the cap are you willing to go for Malik Monk when it comes to the end of the season, Tony and Jerry? Are you guys uh, are we looking at him as a seventeen million a year guy? Are you paying him like a starter and hoping he's willing to come off the bench at twenty one, twenty two? Where, where do you guys see him topping out at for the Kings specifically? Well, I think you you're going to find out the his value and you hope you can match it. You know, you just hope you can. I mean, it's uh. Yeah, I mean, is it seventeen million a year? I'd be surprised if it wasn't, at least that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, teams that have cap room that happen to be looking for a guard, and that's always the the thing you can't tell yet. You know, who has the cap room? Because uh, you might be in. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Lakers losing. You know, they didn't necessarily want losing, but but they didn't have anything they could do much, and so. Sure. So I guess I'm still optimistic. I, I don't, you know, I, I think so many teams are stuck with guys who aren't nearly as good with big contracts, yeah. you know, that, that they're married to. And so that's that's kind of the big hope there. But yeah, somebody's going to offer him a lot of money and I hope it's a Kings and I hope it's it fits under the it works. Tony, you got a line in the sand? I, I mean, it's not my money. So I my take is, Hey, Malik Monk, he's durable. He's been awesome here. He's not a guy where I care what it takes to keep him. Like there are certain players that I only like to an extent. So there's a limit to what I would pay them to me for Malik Monk. He's not going to get 200 million. So there's going to be like a, an obvious cap to it. Um, and I don't really care what the floor is. I do think 17 million probably doesn't get it done because that's less than Harrison Barnes got. And I think Monk will be entering free agency in a more valuable position to another team than Barnes did last summer. And the cap only ever really goes up at this point. So if it costs 20, 25 million, if it's four years, a hundred million, you can get him a nice, that's a nice number. That's a nice sounding number. Malik Monk will give you a hundred million. Please stay for four years. I would have no issue with something like that because to me, Monk is in a lot of ways, what sets the Kings apart from other teams. All playoff teams will give you a good starting lineup. That's why they're playoff teams. Uh, And you can compete with starting lineups all day. But Monk off the bench is an element that the Kings have that rarely, if no other team really has that kind of weapon off the bench. So I'm keeping him and he's comfortable and happy doing it. And he, so for all those reasons, um, make sure you keep Malik Monk is kind of my attitude, at least right now. You know, one last thing on the Monk thing, and I think you have to look at it, and I've thought about a little bit, is like, look around the league and what team couldn't he play on? Yeah. There's almost yeah. there's almost none. Mm-hmm. So that if that if you weren't scared a little bit before, and <laughs> yeah. I think it's a true statement. I, I mean, I I mean, well anyway, and he deserves to get paid, and I hope he does, and I hope it's Kings and Spanning. That I guess that's my last thought. Amen to that. So we'll move on to Keegan Murray then. Uh, he's missed two games with a back injury. So we'll start there. First, talk to me about the importance of getting Murray back healthy, not just as an offensive player this season, probably one of the best defenders on the team as well. Well, that's where the Kings have missed him is defensively, and, and certainly he's become a much better rebounder. 
So the offensively, he's been totally inefficient, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's where obviously Trey Lyles has been just been the opposite. He's been ex- extremely efficient. So uh, uh, anyway, yeah, I you got to get Keegan back there because he is a, a key to this franchise going forward. He's going to be real good, but he's got to kind of settle down offensively. And I we talked about it in past you know past uh, podcasts. I I still think he's uh, maybe forcing too many shots. You know, just settle down and you know kind of be the uh, you know, the rookie Keegan, except uh, go ahead and drive to the basket and create some things for yourself that you didn't do. But the same perimeter shots probably is a good gauge. I'm not glad that he's injured, obviously, but if this can kind of reset him a little bit, maybe maybe it'll be a good thing when he comes back with a fresh look at the team from the bench. And I mean, we've seen that work with other players in the past, so maybe that can get uh, Murray's shot right. But he's... He's still having a, a good contributing year. Uh, the offensive numbers aren't where you want him to be, but it's also the, the part I'm worried about least. Um, I love what Mike Brown is doing with Murray defensively. He's basically, I mean, we can call Keegan Murray a stopper if we want to or not, but that's how Mike Brown is treating him. He's putting him on the opposing team's best player pretty much every night at this point. It doesn't matter if that player is a guard or, or a big man, basically anything but a center. Mike Brown is not afraid to put Keegan Murray on, which is a huge compliment to me that that Mike Brown is trusting your second year guy as your your defensive stopper your best option to stop primary scorers and that's also taxing uh, uh, on your offense too it, it can be it's a lot of effort that you're putting on that end so I am choosing maybe uh maybe I shouldn't but I'm choosing to play a little bit of favorites here with Keegan Murray and give him somewhat of a pass for the offensive struggles and I, I remain just overall happy with his year and hopefully it sounds like he's going to play against the Warriors so hopefully he can kind of get himself back on track offensively uh tomorrow night how good can a how good of a defender can Keegan Murray end up topping out for this squad? Is he an all defensive level guy if he if if he gets to that point? Like, is this something that we're ex- not expecting necessarily, but we can kind of project out there, or is he just kind of that step below an all defensive level talent for the Kings? That's a good question. I my thought early on, and and as you guys know, I'm wrong a lot, but uh, my my thoughts are that. Probably not. I just don't see that. I, I see a guy that probably could very well be the King's best defender for years to come, but that doesn't, sadly, that doesn't make you an elite, one of the best in the league. And so, uh, but, but I mean, there's some real potential there. I mean, not just the fact that he does have some long arms and some good instincts, but you know, he, he wants to do it and that's always where it has to start. So uh, yeah, the, you know that so that's very encouraging you know we we know he's going to find his offense but so you know and as tony said I, I agree i mean i think it's hurting his offense a little bit early because of the pressures you know you you know any, any player that goes out there and is focusing on defense is going to affect their offense a little bit yeah. and so so anyway he's uh i'm just still so happy they they got him and uh drafted him and the future with him is still just as bright if not brighter if i had to guess i would say just below like the top of the top i feel like he's never like he's not a shot blocker uh prolifically he's he gets a lot of steals but not of the elite level and i so i just feel like those counting stats on defense are never going to get him into the conversation of defensive player of the year or all defensive first team even if maybe he deserves it with his effort and production. So I don't know, maybe the advanced stats will say something differently, but I feel like he can top out as a very good defender for this team. Will he be one of the top five in the entire league? I'd lean no, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. It's only year two. Oh, what do you guys feel like? Uh, how do you guys feel like uh, the guys who have stepped up in Keegan's ab- absence have done? I'm speaking specifically of Chris Duarte and Kessler Edwards. How, how have they done in Keegan's absence these last couple of games? Well, I, I think they've tried hard. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I think Coach Brown has really had to mix and match and has gotten a little, a little bit of this, a little bit of that defensively that they've tried. And uh, having said that, I think that, you know, uh, that they're not productive enough. And so, you know, as time goes, if the team is really healthy, I see them playing less not more yeah to me i haven't been disappointed with any of them they've done 
serviceable in the roles they've given. What I can't get out of my head is why aren't these minutes going to Colby Jones? And that's maybe my nitpick of, of the week is that I think Colby Jones has given pretty close to same level defense as Edwards and Duarte with much more consistent uh, contributions offensively. So I kind of go back to Colby Jones and even Keon Ellis. If I'm trying to give those extra leftover minutes to anyone, I know Keon Ellis has been injured, but that's kind of where this breaks down for me at the end of the rotation is give me more Jones and Ellis and maybe less of Duarte and Edwards, who we've barely seen much of anyway. So I I don't mind seeing a little more uh, Edwards, but I'm kind of in the Ellis and Jones over Duarte camp as of, as of now. Gary, is it, is it Colby Jones time in Sacramento? I'm kind of with Tony. I'm, I don't know if I'm totally in the camp, but I'm kind of trying to put, put the camp up anyway, the tent, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's a, I think he's going to be a better player. Uh, looks, you know, looks confident enough. I'd like to see him. Yeah. I, I don't know what you'd be risking at this point. I mean, Duarte, I think he's an NBA player, but, but he hasn't brought that much to the table. He certainly tries to play defense, but so does Jones. And certainly so does Ellis. So, you know, it wouldn't be bad to have a guy that would make a shot every now and then and uh, not be in foul trouble. So, yeah, sounds like I'm down on Duarte. I'm not. I, I think I think he's a limited role player. That's what I think. And so if, if you're going to have a limited role player, then why not, you know, look for an actual role player, you know, a guy that, that could be a 20-minute guy every – every night. And, and right now I don't think that he is, I guess that's the way I'd say it. Yeah. I, I don't think Duarte has been bad either. And his energy has been pretty good. The thing that Duarte that has been most frustrating to me is just the fouls. He's following at a, I looked up the numbers on cleaning the glass, just an astronomical amount of fouls. His foul rate is higher than anyone else in this team by far. Uh, and it's the first percentile in the entire NBA. So I don't think there's a single wing in the league that is fouling more than Duarte right now. So I guess that's my only, that's my biggest frustration is contributions on offense are, are kind of hit or miss at any, any night, but the fouling all the time has been pretty consistent. Yeah. I guess I'll shout out uh, uh, Tim Maxwell here. Cause I saw this stat the other day that he tweeted out. Um, this is my only comment on Chris Duarte is that Chris Duarte averages 6.9 fouls for 36 minutes, which is the <laughs> most of any rotational player in the league. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and somebody else pointed out, uh, and I, I have to assume this is true because it feels true. They said, give him some credit. He brought it down from 7.5 fouls last week. Okay. Nice. So, so there, there's my one comment on Chris <laughs> and uh, we'll leave it at that. So um, let's talk about the return of Trey Lyles. Uh, Lyles recently returned to the bench uh, for the Kings after missing the the first 13 games, the calf injury. Uh, What have you guys seen from the return of Trey? Um, He's averaging 10 points, uh, 46% from deep and 7.5 rebounds. What have you guys seen from Trey these last two games? Well, he's been, you know, better than I'd even hoped. I thought, uh, you know, that he had struggled for a few games just to get his legs under him, but he hasn't. He just hit the, hit the floor running, making shots, you know, uh, really just plays under control. I mean, probably better than just about everybody. You know, he's 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 kind of like a Harrison Barnes who really kind of looks for his offense, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's better on the board. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this team got better, uh, you know. I mean, and here I'm not wanting to rip on uh, Sasha, but – I mean, Trey Lyles just brings you more of what you need. And it's not to say you can't play Sasha differently because I think eventually he's going to start making more shots and getting more shots. But, but in the interim, I mean, I I just think uh, Trey is a better fit, you know, in the, at the backup four and and truly, I think at the backup five, some too. So I, I think with Sasha, they're just going to have to look in terms more of the backup three, personally. Sure. Tony, what about you? How do you feel about Trey Lyles these last couple of games? Trey has been awesome. Um, he's way more aggressive than I've ever seen him play, especially with his three. And he's the one guy on the Kings that's actually hitting them at a at a very good rate. I'm at the point with, uh, with Trey Lyles, and I didn't think I'd ever get here, where I, where I do think he actually really is maybe pushing Harrison Barnes in that starting unit, which yeah. to me, uh, that was always kind of a thought in the back of my mind that maybe Trey Lyles could get there, but 
I feel like the Kings had always viewed him as a backup bench player. And so did I, and you just paid Harrison Barnes. He's been in that starting lineup for so long, but the way Lyles is playing with his aggressiveness, with his shot, uh, which is really kind of the biggest complaint with Harrison Barnes so far is he just has not shown a lot of offensive aggression. He can't find his role in this offense. So maybe if you, if you have that player, just be Lyles who will sit in the corner and shoot threes over and over again, maybe that is a better fit. And I don't know that you're losing anything on defense. You're gaining on the glass. So I would accept an argument from someone if they stated that Lyle should be the starting power forward on this team. That's how good he's been. Yeah, Jerry, how feasible is that? Well, I think it's very feasible. You know, very feasible. I think uh, he's got the talent for it. He's he, he's got the fit. Having said that, uh, you know, at worst, if you're going to bring him off the bench, bring him off more. He needs to yeah. with Monk and with Monk and him, you've got two starter level players coming off your bench and and that's you know that's fine i don't think he'd have any problem with it i just i guess my the sooner coach brown in my opinion gets him to be a 20 25 minute guy the better as opposed you know and i mean that's there's a reason he's not there yet but this, this team in my opinion gets better with trey lyle's playing more and some of the other guys playing less how would Harrison Barnes game react to uh, coming off the bench rather than being a starter? I guess he'd be okay with it at his state. I don't know. I mean, he's a class guy. He's always been, uh, he knows he, the probably the best years are behind him, not likely in front. Uh, it'd probably be good for him in truth. And we've talked about this in the past. I, I think almost ideally he'd be best as a backup three, four, you know, yeah. behind a Lyles, behind a Keeg, I think that would honestly be, be where this team direction probably ought to go. Tony, do you feel like there'd be any issues with that? I would hope not from Barnes's uh, camp, but you never know. I do think it would be helpful for him as a player. I was looking up some Harrison Barnes numbers um, today because I, I don't know, I was just interested in the season he's had so far because no one has really talked about him at all. And I think that's because his impact has been so low, but I was surprised to find out that he actually has the highest uh, points per shot attempt on the team outside of Sabonis, who just takes a lot of very high, uh, high efficiency twos. So Harrison Barnes has been a tremendously efficient offensive player. He just doesn't have any real offensive role in the starting unit. If you are going to relegate that fifth starter to a floor spacer, who's going to stay on the perimeter the entire time, let try to me, let Trey Lyles do that and let Harrison Barnes do what he was very effective with last year and in years prior, which is going to the rim, getting fouls, getting to the free throw line, uh, using his Euro step, doing things beyond just a corner shooter, which is what he's doing in the starting lineup right now. So I think that would help Barnes's career and his, his impact on the Kings. Would he like coming off the bench? I have no idea. Well, you know, one thing about it too, and I mean, you know, we, we can't know what we don't know, but, but I, I just think, you know, rebounding wise, I mean, he's just not as good as Lyles. Yeah. He's not as good as Murray on the board. Defensively, he's better than Lyles. He's not as good as Murray. I mean, the, but the whole point is that there's a lot of symmetry there. And, and then, as you pointed out, I've, I've noticed, I mean, he's, he doesn't take a lot of bad shots. I mean, he finds a way to be productive. In my mind, I think, you know, okay, so instead of playing, 30 minutes a game, if he played 22, 24, I think that same level of productivity might be there, you know? And so all of a sudden your bench becomes better, just better. And so does your starting unit probably is slightly better. Sure. Before we get into uh, the games to come, I want to ask you guys, were there any uh, standout, standout games of note for you guys in the last two weeks? There's a lot of quality wins. Uh, you got the Timberwolves win in Minnesota, where they were. Minnesota was previously undefeated at home before the Kings came in without Keegan Murray, and beat them down pretty bad. Um, Fox scored forty three against the uh, the San Antonio Spurs with uh, their first matchup against Wemby. Uh, they beat the Lakers in this uh, period of time. You can also talk about the Pelicans uh, just kicking the absolute crap out of the Kings if you want to. I'd prefer not to, but you guys can go ahead if you want to. Any any games that you guys had a particular experience with that you wanted to talk about? Well, for me, I, I, I think the Timberwolves game, obviously, to, it's what made the road trip a great road trip. Uh, they, they beat a really good team on the road. And I thought, you know, they got the worst officiating of the year. 
yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, Anthony Edwards is treated like he's Michael Jordan, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I mean, he may, he's a great young player, but he, he really got bailed out a lot in my opinion. And, uh, and the Kings fought through all that. You know, I mean, that's credit to them. And because and, I don't really like to blame officials much, but I really did. I thought, I thought, Jesus, guys, you're embarrassing yourselves here a little bit. But uh, so that game, you know, and I, and I really just didn't think that uh, it might, it would go well uh, for the Kings because of the size, the length. I thought it will be almost impossible for Sabonis to be a productive player and I thought if he can't be productive it's going to be tough for the Kings to win well he didn't have a great game but he's very productive and uh, or productive enough and so so that one stands out and what just one little point too on the uh, second Pelicans game uh, Sabonis got smacked in the face on an offensive foul they didn't call late which turned into be a three-point play for Ingram really the Kings played well enough to win that ball game and if yeah. they had made it the obvious call, I think the Kings likely would have. I mean, now that happens, you know, it happens. But I'm just saying it's one of those things that is kind of forgotten in the fact the Kings got embarrassed in the first one. And we're trying to – but they but they put themselves in a position to win against a, a good Pelicans team, who's going to get better, by the way, when McCullum and Murphy come back. So, uh, so anyway – I, I wasn't as disappointed, uh, you know, with this. I mean, I, I wanted to, after that huge second Houston game, I knew I, they better come out and, <laughs> and play and, and give, you know, play to where you got a chance to win. And, and they did. Yeah. Tony, what about you? Did any of these games stand out to you? Yeah. I kind of had some thoughts on the same two games um, with like, like Jerry mentioned, I was a little bit concerned coming into the Timberwolves game because of the Timberwolves size and what I thought the difference was there uh, versus the Pelicans, who I'll talk about in a second, is against the Timberwolves, Carl uh, Anthony Towns can't cover anyone. So he was forced <laughs> to be on Harrison Barnes, who actually had a great game because he could not contain Harrison Barnes. So, And I'm looking at all these like Western Conference play- games as playoff series, and that would just be a fascinating series to watch if it ends up being the Timberwolves, where you have these two giants in Gobert and Cat but cat really can't guard anyone that, the, that he is put on. If it's whether it's a bonus or Barnes, if Barnes is still in the starting lineup. Um, but the reason I was concerned about the Timberwolves is because the Pelicans to me looked like a horrible matchup with their size. They've got Herb Jones and Zion and Ingram and Valanchunas and their size and physicality in the paint to me really bothered the Kings. Um, but there was no one like cat on that team to kind of abuse offensively. Uh, but the Pelicans, I feel like that, that is a matchup. I'm going to hope the Kings don't have. They're the best defending three-point team in the league with and with the Kings' reliance on a three-point shot, their size inside. The Pelicans just might be a bad matchup for the Kings. Not to say they couldn't beat them next time. That second game was close. But I did come away from those Pelicans games thinking, I this there's many teams I would rather play that is not this one in the playoffs if I could choose. Yeah, one thing, too, about the Pelicans, I, I'd like to... I don't know if it's possible if anybody can actually guard Zion. But yeah. the Kings... Uh, <laughs> The Kings probably, you know, put up about the least effort or, or <laughs> chance, you know, of anybody. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and to beat the Pelicans, you're going to have to, you know. Yeah. I, I, that's what I, I mean. I know Ingram's terrific and Valanciunas is excellent, one of the five or six best centers in the world. All that's true, uh, but Zion's a guy that's unguardable. Yeah. I mean, and and I mean, if he gets uh, going to the basket, he just is a bigger version of Charles Barkley. And for those old enough to remember, uh, Charles was unguardable. <laughs> Tony, I will just mention that uh, it went the other way for Carl Anthony Towns too. He wound up with 27 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, shot four or five from three-pointer. Like he couldn't stop Harrison Barnes, but I don't think Harrison Barnes was doing that great of a job stopping him either on that one. Yeah, that's true. But I, I will live with a push and that wasn't a push <laughs> towns won that matchup, but it just yeah. seemed to me like towns is out of place on defense a lot in that, in that yeah. game against the wolves. Yeah. You know, towns, I think defensively makes a uh, Luka Doncic look like Marcus smart, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, but it's like Tony said, I mean, yeah. offensively, you know, he's playing to his strength defensively. Yeah. I'm not sure where it is, but with Gobert, there's, 
you know, he'd do better against centers. Yes. Yeah. But, sure. You know, sure. he he would be he would be bad against centers, yeah. but he would it'd be far far better than he is against forwards. <laughs> just not not going to happen. So we'll roll over to the in season tournament now. Uh, I've done a lot of reading on it. There's about 40 ways the Kings can clinch a berth to the next <laughs> yeah. round of the in season tournament. 35 of the 40 of which go right over my head. The easiest way to do that is they got to beat the suddenly struggling Golden State Warriors in the Golden One Center on Tuesday. Uh, Draymond Green is returning from a suspension. Chris Paul is fighting with referees on social media. The Warriors have lost seven of their last nine games. Uh, guys, preview this game for me a little bit. Tell me what the Kings need to do to get over the Golden State Warriors hump and into the next round of the in-season tournament. Yeah, that's a really easy one there. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean, uh, you've got to find a way to uh, slow Curry down. Number one, you just, I mean, just get him under some level of control, twenty-five points or less. If and that's easy to say, hard to do. I don't know. I'm sure Coach Brown has some things in mind, but uh, if you know Curry is the 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 guy that scares you to death on that team, uh, Clay isn't anymore. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, Wiggins is not having a good year, which is surprising. And so, you know, you know, there's a, re I mean, I do think one thing about Golden State, the Sarge pickup has turned out yeah. to be a really valuable mm -hmm. one. Uh, and then of course there's always Draymond and, uh, you know, who still thinks he's a, one of the elite players in the league and, uh, <laughs> haven't seen that for a while uh, so i mean and so i don't know i'm, I'm getting so i don't like them and uh but but they but i do think it's you know it's it's a curry it's curry and all good things for the warriors flow through him his skill not just scoring but you know making making others better and he's certainly one of the 10 greatest players probably in the history of the games and he's damn near as good as he's ever been. Tony, what do you feel about this Golden State Warriors game coming up? I would love to see the Kings solve this puzzle, and it seems like everything is going in their favor uh, because of all the Warriors' struggles. Um, Draymond is coming back, so that could go good or poorly for them. I have no idea. Uh, but at the same time, it could be one of those instances that I felt with the Warriors in the past where you think you're catching them at a down moment, but when they play the Kings, they will still figure it out and find a way to win the game. So I can't tell if I'm happy that everything's going poorly for them and the Kings are playing them, or if I'd rather them be red hot and have the Kings play them and maybe catch them by surprise when they don't have so many issues. So I, I don't know how to call this game on paper. You'd think the Kings could or should have it. They've lost them enough times now that hopefully they figured some things out and this team is, is kind of struggling, but at the same time, they could erupt and I could be disappointed again. So I don't know how to call it. Will you call it? The only thing I can call is I know for a fact, Draymond green is going to do some heinous bullshit this <laughs> yeah, game. I think he knows in his own mind, they just suspended me for five games. They wouldn't dare suspend me again for me doing something crazy in this game. So he's got like one game of leeway between what the league will do before the league's paying attention again. So he knows he can just, I, I think he'll put his fist through somebody's face He's going to throw an elbow to the back of a neck. He's going to try to paralyze somebody in this game. That's the only thing I know. Draymond Green being annoyed about the referees and being suspended by the league knows in his own mind he's got a game where he can do whatever the hell he wants to. He's got carte blanche to kill somebody, and this is the game to do it. Yeah, that's what surprised me about Draymond. I'll say one thing I want to see. Uh, I want to see Scott Foster call the game. How's that? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are the officials yeah. announced yet? Yeah. No, yeah, no, I don't think so. But yeah, come on, League, show some balls. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Foster in there. Yeah. We we know they didn't give him six games because they wanted him back for the Kings game. And so we know Chris Paul's already pissed at Scott Foster. Let's get all the drama going in one single game and let them all hash it out. Go. Yeah. It might be the only game where a player goes after the referee to fight rather than another player and the referee pulls him back. <laughs> well, yeah, that whole thing is interesting. And I, and I, you know, I think more people take Chris's side than they ought to, uh, you know, it could be, and I think there's a good chance of it from some people I've heard from officials over the years that, that basically Scott's a guy that won't take any of Chris's crap. Yeah. You know, 
just, sure. it, you know, it just simply where a lot of officials, you know, still will, will tolerate it to, you know, it's kind of like the cousins thing, some officials, mm-hmm. you know, and Foster's obviously he's a high quality official and other than Chris Paul, who has a problem with him. Well, that should tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, last thing before we get to the Patreon question, um, we're gonna we're gonna send out a congrats to Mike Brown on a uh, 400 wins. Jerry, he's mm-hmm. pulled within 960 something wins on Greg Popovich. He's he's closing the gap slightly. Uh, speak to us a little bit on the accomplishment that is 400 wins in the NBA. Well, it's remarkable, especially uh, you know his win percentage. I, I mean, I really. It, I think he's kind of on a, hall, a legitimate Hall of Fame uh, uh, push now. You know, there's a lot of things got to happen <laughs> between now and then, and there's a lot of guys. There's guys who have won a thousand that aren't in the Hall of Fame, but his percentage is great. So it's just a uh, guy's very deserving of any accolade in my my mind. And uh, you know, Willie. And one thing about it, if he's going to catch pop, he's going to have to coach till he's ninety. Because uh, Pop will still be coaching, probably, but uh, you know, I'm not. I'm just not sure what the rate of wins is for Pop's going to be for a while. It doesn't look as encouraged as encouraging as I thought it would. Uh, Tony, what? Do, how do you feel about uh, about Mike Brown winning his 400 games with the Kings? I feel great about Mike Brown. His run here has been spectacular. Perfect coach for the perfect time. I was thinking about this earlier, though, and I wanted to ask Jerry and Will, you can answer too. Um, if Mike Brown were the coach of any other Kings team during the drought era, would any of those teams broken the drought before now, if that question makes sense? Because I, I think Mike Brown is having a great impact. I think he's been a great coach. I am just curious how much of this is still, you know, he's got a good team. Other coaches we've had haven't had good teams, or would he have... Would he have changed the direction sooner because he's that good of a, of a head coach in the locker room? Well, that's a great question. The only one I, I think, you know, had he, you know, been the coach in the early drought period, yeah, you know, uh, I think, you know, where Reggie Theus or Eric Musselman were the coaches, I, I think that would be possible. Uh, after that, I don't honestly see, you know, he, I think he'd made a difference with any of them, mm-hmm. but uh you're talking two or three games, four games, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so the, the league is the league. We know it's still a talent league. And, yeah. and, and uh, the talent really wasn't there to speak of. But I thought, yeah, the, the year after Rick Adelman, I thought uh, that certainly a chance there, especially with veteran guys. Bibby was still there and Ron Artest and, and some guys. So, uh, you know, and then, of course, the with Reggie Theus. I mean, Reggie won thirty-eight games, yeah, with those guys, and 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 I thought Reggie did a pretty good job, really. But uh, I think I think no question that Mike Brown would would have gotten a little more juice out of those guys. So, yeah, if that's a fair answer or not, but that'd be my best guess. Yeah, I was going to get clever and say uh, the thirty-nine win team that Dave Yeager had in his last year, but I'm looking at that roster and. I, I mean, That's they were they, they, they were ninth. They were they were ninth in the West. But, you know, you have Harrison Barnes uh, halfway through the season. Buddy Heald was your leading scorer. Uh, Fox, Marvin Bagley as a rookie. You have Bogdanovich, Willie Cauley-Stein. He might have made a difference with Willie Cauley-Stein. I think he's the kind of guy that would have made or could he could make or break Willie Cauley-Stein if Willie had him early in his career. Maybe you get in between his ears and turn him into an NBA player. But I don't I don't think so. Honestly, I really don't think so. I'm looking at that team and I was gonna be clever. That's a trailer fire. I the fact that Dave Yeager won, won that many games, Dave Yeager sold his soul for that. And <laughs> yeah, uh, I appreciate Dave for doing it, but God, no, he wouldn't have made a difference. So I'll just agree with Jerry. Jerry's the right one on this one. <laughs> yeah, Dave. I thought Dave did a marvelous job. He great, you know, and and you know, had been for some stupid front office interference, I think they'd have won a couple more games. But I, I just don't think there's anybody could have won more with that bunch than Dave did. And so, uh, yeah, he's uh, Dave Yeager's a real professional basketball coach. And, uh, yeah, as far as getting to Willie Cauley-Stein, I, I don't think Jesus could get to Willie Cauley. <laughs> he had certainly tried. I know that much. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Tony, let's roll over to you for the uh, Patreon question of the day. 
All right. Uh, thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash King's Herald or the website or on Twitter. And if you submit a question and you don't hear it get answered on the main show here, we do record a Patreon-exclusive Q&A once a month where all the leftover questions get pooled and answered. This week's question comes from Daniel Schultz, and we kind of touched on some of these points, but I think he framed it well. Uh, Daniel writes, Vaguely inspired by Kevin O'Connor's interesting take on Sabonis from a few weeks back, now that we've got a decent-sized sample for how they look in year two, can this team, as is, eventually become title contenders or is a trade for more length slash defensive ability basically required? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. Uh, in other words, you're asking, can this team as presently constructed win an NBA championship uh, or, you know, and I'd say as constructed, not likely. Uh, now, just what, what would entail a difference there? Uh, I do think they could use more size. I mean, I, we've talked about that many times and, and more athleticism and size. So uh, does that have to be a starter? I don't know about that, but I think for, you know, this team uh, to go forward, you, you, you need that lively guy that, you know, and, and JaVale, if you had a, you know, a young JaVale even, uh, you know, you might be able to, to be there. And uh, I mean, Sabonis can play with, you know, in the past, you know, his career, and I've watched him with uh, Turner as a center. He can play with guys like that. Uh, so, so I guess I'm dancing around it, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that in my mind, and I hope to be wrong. I hope they got everything they need and they just roll right into the finals. But but I don't believe that to be true. I think they are a big, athletic, lively guy away. And whatever that would entail as a starter, uh, a role player, or, or a big-time role player, uh, that, uh, you know, I think that would is kind of what's, what's called for, I think. Will, has your attitude towards this team and what they still need changed at all i feel like that's kind of the root of what daniel's asking is like has this improved play like changed your mind at all or do they still still need that piece well i, I think if sabonis can average 28 fox average 32 yeah. every week for the rest of the season <laughs> yeah sure maybe but like the chances of that happening or the chances of me making the roster next year um so i, I yeah no i think they need an extra piece and I, i'm with jerry that could be just one more lanky guy off the bench I was I was looking at teams that could maybe trade guys and and you know people that might need a change of scenery. Uh, Orlando has Jonathan Isaac kind of back and healthy, but they're not playing him much because they don't really need him. He might be a guy that though he's kind of an annoying personality. He could probably find time to play in Sacramento, uh, Chicago. If Chicago ends up continuing to be a trash fire, Patrick Williams might need a change, and he may, might be somebody that comes off the bench who finally puts it together in a, in his second stop. Um, Toronto is sitting there like right around 500. Like they go on a losing streak. Maybe OG suddenly becomes available and the Kings can, can go to go get him. But I, I think Jerry's right. Could be a starter, could be a high level bench guy, but they do need at least one more piece for some length there. A, a, a lockdown defender would be nice, but where they find it again, I, Tony, I think you've kind of started to warm up to the idea of um, uh, Jeremy Grant in Portland, yeah. right? Yeah, and and that's one of those things that he, he kicked the crap out of the Kings. He might be an expensive ad, but he might be somebody that pushes them closer to the direction of uh of a contender. But they do need at this point one more piece. Yeah, I think this conversation is in is kind of what has inspired me to take another look at Jeremy Grant because even a year ago I thought they needed another All Star. And now I've kind of moved off my point just a bit where it's like, all right, maybe they don't need another all-star. They need another good starter. And that that Jeremy Grant can fill that role. Maybe he's not like the all-star they need, but they might not need an all-star anymore because you can kind of adjust to what you're looking for. So from that standpoint, I guess they, in my mind, are a little bit closer than they were. Um, to me, another part of this question is the Western Conference. I just don't, like as an aside, I also just don't fear the Western Conference that much right now. So you look like if we call the Denver Nuggets the best team in the West, could the Kings beat them in a seven game series? They probably wouldn't, but they could. 
And I don't know if I felt that way a year ago. Um, so they're, they're, they're moving up a little bit, little by little And I, one more swing of a trade could, could change it dramatically, but they're more in the conversation now than I would have, if I, if you asked me this even a few months ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jerry, we're going to roll over to you for the, uh, for the Reynolds wrap up. What do you have for us today, Jerry? Well, guys, I was just thinking, uh, you know, we're, you know, one fifth of the year through the deal and, and I just want to, you know, talk to the young Jedi heralders out there. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, how the how team's doing, I always say there's, there's three most important ways. Look at the standings. That That's always number one. Uh, point differential. Point differential through, you know. But equally important at this early stage is, is home and road schedule because that really can skew things. Now, it'll even out once you get into 40 games. It'll be closer. But like, for instance, I think it's a – Okay, the Pacers are nine and six, and the Heat are, I think, the same same record or, or same percentage. And the Pacers have had ten home games, five on the road, or yeah, and uh, the Heat five at home and twelve on the road. So what that tells you is that the Heat are better than the Pacers, you know, yeah. even though they're below them in the standings, uh, and so. Uh, you know, so, and there's three or four examples of that, that wouldn't be there later, but I always said, you know, that, that's always the first thing I look early in the season, even before I look at point differential or even the standings is if there's a huge difference. And, and now the, the area where it can screw you up, it's like with the road schedule. Cause you know, you, you know, if you, you see teams with a good road winning record, like the Kings have had, but that can be misleading as well. I mean, if your first road trip back east, you happen to play Milwaukee and uh, and Cleveland and Boston, you know, and uh, the top team, which could happen, you know, and you lose them all, that then you look bad. Or conversely, you know, you you get to play Chicago, Detroit, Charlotte, and uh, you know. Uh, you know, some of the have about four or five weak ones on your, on your trip. So anyway, I just, it, it makes it interesting. I just think it's something you, you know, don't just look at the standings kind of see because they're there. The point differential too is like, you'll have teams, you know, maybe third with a, a minus point differential. Well, sure. that tells you that's not going to last. <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it just it just isn't going to last. And then conversely, a team that's eighth, seventh, or eighth might have a three point. Well, probably that's not going to last. They're going to they're going to move up to some degree. You know. So anyway, that's you know that's all I got for you. You know, it's just uh, it's just a, the the mumblings of a old man that still really <laughs> loves to, to, to follow, you know, I'm not an analytics guy and yet I am. There's some of it that really thinks important as you guys know, yeah. you know, it's like scoring efficiency and things of that nature, you know, and that's uh, you know, at some point, if you really score efficiently, uh, you probably win. You know, if everybody's scored as efficiently as Fox and Sabonis and, and Barnes, the Kings would win every game. Jerry, before we wrap up, I'm curious as to what your opinion of a uh, of your hometown team is. Like, I mean, obviously the Pacers are first in in points per game, first in offensive rating. They are last in opponents' points per game and second to last in defensive rating. I've seen them called the Ponzi scheme Pacers over here because of their their seemingly good record so far this season. Uh, do you feel like the Pacers are the real deal, or do you feel like they're gonna they're gonna fall off? Well, I think they're a lot better. Uh, you know, I'm not quite ready to put them in the top four or five, uh, you know, and I think their their schedule would indicate that. But, uh, I've, you know, they can really score. And, of course, Halliburton is just playing marvelously. Uh, but they've got a lot of guys that can score. But here's the thing that strikes me, and I, you know, Rick Carlisle's coaching them. Yeah. Rick Carlisle. <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, I'm just flabbergasted and uh, – you know, as opposed to just guessing, I'm flabbergasted because I mean, if there's ever a guy that called every damn play, you know, if so, Rick has had a epiphany of something, or uh, Kevin Pritchard has epiphanated him. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> open this, 
open this thing up, but they're, yeah. they're fun to watch. They're yeah. really fun to watch. Yeah. And uh, they got a lot of guy, guys that can score. I think it's a little interesting that Matherin's role has been cut down a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And, and I don't know, but I suspect that, uh, you know, he's got a little fuller opinion of himself, I think early <laughs> on that maybe he needs and, and, sure. and, you know, and they don't really have to have him, you know, they got Buddy and Nimhard and, you know, they got enough guards. So, so anyway, but, but yeah, Rick Carlisle guys, I mean, I know you follow. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, yeah, think about that a little bit, you know, score 140 and give up 130, but Rick Carlisle. So I, if I ever see him again, I'll say, what in the world happened to you? <laughs> All right. Well, on behalf of uh, everyone at the Kings Herald, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. We're, uh, we're going to see you in two weeks and uh, hopefully we've got more fantastic Kings basketball to talk about. So we'll see you then. Thanks so much.